Folks, welcome inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3773 East Broadway. This is a live edition of the Jake Feinberg Show. Company on Power Talk, thank you so much for making us part of your day today. And what an honor it is to bring back a friend of the program, somebody who really lives by her own truth and uh, has really been inspiring for me in the first couple of episodes of our transmissions just because um, she's able to um, articulate things and in a very succinct and understandable way and also doesn't shy away from a a challenge um, which uh, she so eloquently told me last time was um, one of the reasons she at least not a good or a bad thing but she just uh, appreciates the fact that because I'm in the moment and really thinking in a stream of consciousness that it's a challenge for her because she has to focus very much on what I'm saying in order to grasp the nuance of what I'm trying to get at, which I myself don't always know what I'm exactly trying to get at, but um, a brilliant cat and uh, a humble person and um, always, I just hope she's not always too hard on herself. Susan Barnes, welcome back to the Jake Feinberg Show. Hi, Jake. It's so nice to be back again. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, my friend. I do. Do you feel that you are your hardest critic? Mm, of course. Well, you say that as if everybody feels that way, but I mean about themselves, but some people are very, uh, uh, they project, um, you know, when there's guilt, association of guilt or... Um, they're they feel badly about themselves they project that out on other people and they feel better by doing that as opposed to taking personal responsibility which can add an additional weight um and i just wonder how you've learned to deal i mean are you you know especially in the hedge fund world as an accountant i mean part of that the reason you were really good at it i think was your exactness and your ability to make those uh, companies profitable. But, you know, how have you learned to maybe the better question is turn that weakness or that um, that critic in you into a strength? I think, um, you know, this is a great question. And... I think that there has to be an element of, at least within me, an element of forgiveness of my own humanness (laughs) Um, to not be so hard on myself, but to recognize that there is a balance that I have to strike um, in order to become accountable for my own growth and to be um, an agent of my growth. And, you know, over time, um, one of the biggest lessons I think I learned was that nobody cares as much as I do usually. Um, If a sentence isn't perfect in something that I'm writing, it's me that's getting hung up on it. And Hmm. the reader won't even know, right? The reader won't even know the amount of effort or energy that went into that sentence. (laughs) Um, And so it's it's really sort of just like this dance. Um, Like I I wish to, to be my own critic always because I can push myself continuously in that regard. Um, and I know I can do better. And 
in that agency, if I had like a parent or something that was very critical of who I am, I'm sure that that would be debilitating in its own way. And so I feel fortunate that, um, that it is a relationship that I have with self, um, that, that I can dance with, um, and that pushes me into far greater, um, exceptionality in my own expression and the things that I put my energy into, um, as a result. Um, do, like, do you feel like, um, so perfectionism is, uh, something that is, is, that is something that is a very hard thing for you to, to deal with. And I also ask you about softening your heart, like, because, um, you know, allowing yourself to understand that being vulnerable or being um nice you know you care so much that some you can you know does that go across all lines and do you recognize that being soft or being um nice is not the same thing as being weak I don't think that there's weakness to kindness. I think kindness is actually a strength. Um, and I believe that that if it comes to the degree in which a person doesn't necessarily have boundaries, um, right? so I can speak to myself, if I didn't have boundaries, if I didn't have a strong sense or semblance of self, then if people encroach upon that, that, that kindness, um, I wouldn't be able to have the agency to step into that kindness as a mechanism of my own strength. Mm -hmm. And it could be, it could be usurped, um, for someone else's gain in that regard. And so, you know, when I speak of myself specifically, um, there is, for me, early, early adoption of, ex of experiences in life helped me to understand the, the importance of of showing every single person that you need kindness and respect and love, like at a minimum. Um, and being vulnerable in that way, being open in that way, um, is actually quite enlightening as it relates to whoever it is that you're relating with. And so how, you know, I, I found in my own personal experience, like, if I'm approaching you with vulnerability and I'm approaching you with kindness, um, it gives me a window through your own reaction of how you approach that and how you dance with that, um, that affords me an opportunity to have an understanding of the mindset of the person that I'm experiencing. So there's a great freedom um, that comes from sort of having that openness and that vulnerability and that niceness and that softness um, that creates an invitation, I think, um, to engage intentionally with, with other, with whoever else I'm engaged with. Did, has it, has it always been a, a dance for you? I mean, I guess what I meant by that, like, I mean, in our past talks, you've been so open about, um, you know, your plate gets too full and then, you know, um, so, you know, neuroses creeps in, like, I mean, you know, and then the, the therapist 
will say, well, why don't you try yoga or like you went on Xanax for just a brief period of time and got off of it, even though it's still stigmatized in, in our culture. And I mean, for me, my, my issues with neuroses and things like that um, had to do with the fact that I was not always proud of myself or I was um, not reflective of the traditional like alpha male in society. And I'm talking about when I was in my 20s, I mean, I really struggled with um you know with just being who i was and i and and by the grace of the divine i mean i was able to push i mean a lot of its tenacity you got to push through stuff but is is your anxiety angst and or you know like the times when you don't feel like you're on the good foot dancing and you just can't seem to get in a rhythm is it self-inflicted or is it generally uh, have your satchels a little bit too big and heavy and you wind up, you know, falling backward because of the gravity? Mm, so my relationship to anxiety was one that was, that is kind of really diminished in my life. Like anxiety was really only an experience for me um, when I was in a relationship that was wrong for me. When I left that relationship, um, I was able to understand that the sensation of anxiety was my own intuitive prompting. It's the way that my intuition tells me no about something. So existing in the world and and having a general felt sense of calm about me and peace, um, to have it contrasted with like a sensation of anxiousness for me knows that whatever it is that I'm putting my attention towards at that point in time, whatever decision I have to make, whatever circumstance I find myself in, that it's meant for me to pause because it's a no, and it's meant for me to listen deeper and to make a different decision and a different choice. Um, and so that to me is kind of like just a growth point in, in evolution of understanding like the unique language that sort of our body utilizes through sensation in order to be able to inform us of what is transpiring, like what is truly transpiring. Um, so separate, just to kind of just differentiate like between you know that and who I am at this point in time, you know, I think that a part of growth and a part of really true meaningful growth that causes you to develop into um, more refined iterations of self is wholly dependent upon, I think, one's own dedication to their growth process. And a part of that is mindset. And so, you know, first and foremost, um, do I find myself in circumstances that really um, put me deep in the muck and it's hard for me to get out of? At this point in my life, no. Mostly because I've cultivated tools um, in order to assist me in being able to navigate the ups and downs of that are just intrinsic to life and the nature of life. Um, and so mindset being first and foremost, which is a recognition of like, regardless of what challenges I'm confronted with, and the depth of them and how much pain they may cause me, this is temporary. It is all transient. Like the nature of life and reality is that it is always changing. And so even in the depths of it, there is a filament of hope that I'm holding on to, not as like some coping mechanism, but as a true recognition of the, the, the true nature of what it is to be alive in the existing experience of living that there's another side to things always, just as there is another side to when things are blissful and amazing and incredible, there's that, that filaments in the back of my mind that like, I'm grateful for this moment. 
I'm grateful for these moments of peace and tranquility. Um, and so this is just like one piece of like mindset generally that looks to perspective as a, as a tool of taking the molehills of life because it's all molehills that can be turned into mountains that we we frame Mm -hmm. because of our mind state into things that are much bigger than they are because we are so hyper-focused on them in the present moment. But if we're able to zoom out and kind of see a greater scale of perspective, a wider scale of perspective of what it is to be a human, which being human in, in, in and of itself is painful. There are so many things that transpire in human life that we cannot avoid that are painful. But to the degree that we allow ourselves to suffer is wholly dependent upon the degree in which like we find comfort in that suffering. Wow. Uh, that was a mind blowing answer. Um, you know, I, I wanted to, um, ask you a little bit about, um, you know, can you just talk about spiritually? Um, I, I feel, I, 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 I'm not a prophet by any means, and I sure don't pretend to, um, you know, can, I can't see the future by any means, but I, I have this, uh, recently this sinking feeling about where we are about to head as a, uh, at least as a country, um, and I wanted you to talk to people about out there that if in fact, um, because we're already going sideways collectively because the kinds of things that you're talking about um, are not being embraced by a large enough cross-section of society to work on themselves that um, is leading to irrational thinking, uh, belief in in, in um, their own truth. And uh, this is a very disturbing thing. And I just wanted you to talk about how you are going to stay um, even, even though it will be very hard. What are you going to do if we are faced with, um, well, just unprecedented um, political uh, strife, uh, and and and, and um, you know, there's so many people lining up to vote now. And they're spending hours in line waiting to vote uh, because they they don't have a lot of polling places, and and also they just know how important it is to vote. And um, you know, I I sort of foresee this um, a decisive victory for a particular candidate. But then I see this ability, this lack of, of recognition of a fair and just winner and then things getting tied up in the courts and then we are, you know, in this period of unprecedented period of, of, uh, of, dis- of dis-ease. And I want you to talk about the tenants. I mean, you talked very, pro- very profoundly last time about, you know, um, basically um you know having the the gratitude writing down those 10 points of gratitude uh, before um before you even eat breakfast and i and i i just wanted you to talk a little bit about the kinds of things you will do in order to um alleviate dis-ease if um 
because nothing's going to just magically go away um, after the election. And I don't want people to be Pollyannish about that. Um, I mean, it's, it's the same thing that I spoke to before in terms of um, recognizing the practices that I need that are like the rituals that are crucial uh, to keeping me centered and grounded. Um, and that will, that will not change um, because especially in, in periods of, of, of heightened fear and uncertainty and worry, it is even more necessary to be fully grounded in, and centered in self in order to deal with the, the, the barrage of an influx of different types of fear responses that people might have, you know, should this process go in a direction that um, elicits that type of response from a greater collective and population of people. Um, it's very easy to get spun out, and that is one of the predominant um, underlying um, initiatives behind uh, the wider dissemination of information through media. Media is 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 curated in such a way as to to incite the fear response in people, to pe put people in an emotional state um, by stimulating the limbic system, um, because it becomes much easier to manipulate and create all sorts of inference in people if they are emotionally heightened, heightened triggered. So, I would say that like the it is, it is super important now, before next month happens, for, for individuals to figure out the ways in which they're capable of cultivating peace inside of themselves. And that might be like a 10-mile run every day. That might be sitting in meditation for 20 minutes twice a day. That might be spending time with their family. That might be creative. It might be really sort of doubling down on the things that assist you in maintaining a state of, of, of peace to the degree that you can. Um, because it's going to be very easy to get spun out. And people that are spun out and emotional um, end up in that perspective space of seeing mountains instead of molehills. Um, and not to diminish the, you know, the, the implications of what a particular type of election outcome will be, but to, again, like, just give, give inner space, give, inner, give, give space to cultivate inner space in order to be able to handle... Um, a, a particular outcome that is not pleasant. Not everybody has been cultivating that. So can you talk about a time when you had to access these uh, pieces of, of your, I mean, how did you learn to cultivate it? Because you talk about it as somebody who's rooted in the experience of it. You do it every day. Um, and there's a lot of people that don't know what you're talking. I mean, it's not, it's not even that they don't know what you're talking about. They just don't have the discipline or the focus. And I think I can throw myself into that. And that's one reason I um, love to engage with you is because I, I know you are a teacher. And um, so how did, can you talk about a time when you were, I don't know, you learned to sit in the mess? Um, you know, one of the things, and, and this might just be because I might be a rare bird, <laughs> But no doubt about that, but I mean, still. In, 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 in the more challenging parts of my life, and I'll talk about like earlier on because you know, I'm different than I am you know, back then than I am now, but early on, whenever I was going through something incredibly challenging in life, if it was professional or personal or both, there was a part of me that refused to give in to the, 
the internal destruction mode. Like the default of like, let me numb myself from what I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like there was there was a part of me that that knew that it would it would grant me temporary reprieve, but that would only prolong the misery. Um, and so there was so there's something inside of me that is inherently resilient in that capacity that I would regardless of what was going on, I would wake up and I would work out. I would eat right. I wouldn't emotionally eat. I would eat as clean as I possibly could, knowing that, like, you know, if the quality of food that I'm not getting, uh, if the quality of food that I'm getting is not pure, right, if it's pumped with hormones or antibiotics or uh, chemicals that are so often in conventional, like farming, um, that that would also compromise my ability to maintain stasis. Um, and I would not go, I would go to sleep. (laughs) I would make sure that I went to bed, you know, (laughs) um, I would do all of the things because I knew that if I slipped in any of that type of regard, it was, it it could be disastrous. Um, it would, it would be much harder for me to maintain stasis because what I'm effectively doing is creating a solid foundation in which to be able to handle all that stuff to be able to make it through the challenges, giving myself these particular outlets, especially exercise, right? Exercise is moving energy through your body. Like it's moving energy, pumping you full of endorphins and automatically making you feel better. Um, and so, you know, that that is something that's just foundationally apparent in like, you know, not just myself, but plenty of scientific backing of taking care of your body in this way this vessel that is yours to, to keep and maintain and working with it, not seeing it as something separate from you and recognizing the worthiness of being able to care for it um, in this way as like a birthright um, to feed it nourishing food and to give it rest and to effectively turn away from numbing, damaging agents uh, of distraction, like social media, for example, um, like really, you know, so these are kind of just like the foundational things that I started. And then over time, the incorporation of, of meditation was, was pretty significant in terms of my well-being. Um, if I am stressed out, like if something happens in my day that destabilizes me, I know I can either, one, exercise it out, um, because just even that little bit won't change um, the situation that I'm going through, but it will affect my, my body state and my mind state and will give me greater resilience to be able to face whatever challenges are, are you know, happening as well as potentially granting me clarity and insight that may not necessarily have been accessible when I was in an emotional, reactive, clouded state. Um, and then the other part of that is like the meditation component of like, if I'm feeling really stressed out or if I feel that there's something that wants to move through me, I sit in the discomfort. I sit with it rather than trying to suppress it um, because suppression is just maladaptive. Um, and eventually everything that gets suppressed comes up eventually at another time. <laughs> So really just forcing myself to sit down, forcing myself to confront the mind state that I'm in that may be destabilized um, and, and curating like that, that, that time for myself, like recognizing all of these things as compounding investments in self that will grant me greater resilience as time goes by. And then, you know, lastly is, you know, in the midst of, of challenge, in the midst of destabilization, an understanding of of the nature of wisdom and of what is eternal over time, um, and that comes from that comes from living and 
and stepping into a particular understanding that life is one giant teaching for us. Uh, the lives that we live are so incredibly unique and special to who we are. No one will ever walk in the same steps as us. No one will ever have the same conversations that have shaped us. We're so unique and there's so much value inherent within our unique story. And the lessons that wish to come to us are just lying in wait if we are open and receptive to seeing the challenges as something that is granting us greater wisdom and clarity for our own personal evolution. Whether that's something that's happening to us individually, like, or if it's something that's happening collectively. And usually the collective is informing what's transpiring on an individual basis, and so we can use them as a loop to kind of just elevate in this way. Um, but the world is going to turn whether or not we're on it. Political turmoil has existed since the dawn of politics. Um, whatever transpires in our lifetime is but a blip on a scale that is far greater than we can ever comprehend. And understanding, again, that perspective is helpful in navigating circumstances and situations that may seem just crushing in their capacity um, to be all-encompassing. Uh, so these are just a few things, um, physical and mental and you know coming back to the body and, and carving out time for self like it, it feels great to feel great and if we already have at our disposal a deep understanding of the different ways that we can access just like baseline physiological hacks to feel better to enhance our mind states then then the inertia that is there needs to be overcome through an understanding of why would we be, be blocking ourselves from these things that we know are important and that's deeper inquiry and that's deeper exploration of self and that sometimes requires the aid of someone who can actually sit with you in that inquiry in order to parse through whatever has transpired in the past that is inhibiting you from from stepping into something that can inherently make you feel better and can make life better susan can you talk about like um you use this word numbing but mm -hmm. um you know i i connotate that with uh alcohol and drugs and i if i was hearing you correctly you were talking about this like you know incredibly stringent health food diet like the numbing came from an exactness and purity um and i just i think more to the point i, I when did you give yourself permission to let go of that of that purity you know how did you go about doing that um, for your own sanity. Um, can you speak just a little bit more and some clarity on the question? Well, I, you know, so you, you talked about this, num you numbed yourself, I, I, you know, what were you, how did no, you, no, 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 I didn't, I oh, didn't. you didn't numb yourself. Okay. No, no, no. I chose not to do the things I chose to live it and feel it and experience. Okay. It and so that, and not to, but yeah. Okay. So you, okay. I got it. So then, and then, you know, so then how have you learned to, um, what were the, I guess you just explained what the byproducts were of, of going down the path of not numbing yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but um, do you work, is this one of your strengths as a teacher is that you work with people who um, have been numbing themselves for a long time and it's kind of, helping them get back into their um, into their bodies and feeling grounded again? Do you feel like that's something that, I mean, you mentioned to me kind of just, you were like, well, I went to college and, 
you know, I, I didn't know I was, you know, um, you know, I didn't know, uh, you know, I all of a sudden boys were talking to me and you know, I was drinking. You said you went drinking, which were you hard on yourself when you started to experiment and have fun? Did you judge yourself? No. no. So, I mean, that. so can you just talk a little bit about the what makes you singular and unique as a teacher? Um, most, I think the thing that makes me singular and unique as a teacher is the fact that, like, I, I don't assume anything. Um, my, my underlying ethos is a, a pure humility around just truly not really knowing anything. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Life is wild. Um, it's, 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 it's unending in its surprises and its magic, and there are infinite permutations of possibility that exist. Um, just t just have a conversation with someone else, get to know them about their life and see how varied, like very different they are and their life experiences. And the fact that that's replicated billions and billions of times over. Um, but the thing that I sort of anchor myself in is a concept and understanding of like what is eternal and, and that usually lies within what is wisdom so things that that have existed since you know our comprehension and understanding of of what it is to be alive and live and how it is to relate to each other that have been you know adages spoken to for generations and and so my overall perspective is informed by like an understanding that like there's a lot that we don't know but on a human scale there are, there's a very, very small subset of what ails us. Um, it doesn't matter how that ailment like takes form, if it's disease, if it's satisfaction in the marriage, if it's, um, if it's uh, death, if it's, if it's change, like there's, we're vexed by the same things, regardless of what our backgrounds are. And they crop up at different times in our lives. And so, like, the identification of these different things kind of, like, creates a container in which, like, there is another side to this. Uh, the other side is to you. It's always to you and the way in which you are perceiving your life and yourself and your life circumstances. And is the mindset, the one that you're in, one of mastery in which you have mastered your, an understanding of self? Most often not. And what are the ways in which openings can be created? Because a lot of the discord and the suffering that most people experience are of their own making. Cages that have been constructed over the course of a lifetime that force a perspective into a very siloed view. Um, and so then the, the ability to work with people is in, in the, the ability to poke holes into those cages and open them up and give light to them, like give light and let them breathe and see what transpires incrementally um, when shifts in perspective begin to occur, when we start to connect to our body. Sometimes, like, I have clients, like, they'll, they'll find me and they're a mess, you know, and I'll, and usually, you know, I usually do a consultation call that's free just to assess whether or not this is a, a mutually beneficial relationship, right? Because it's easy for me to take someone's money, like... It, right, no, I, I appreciate that. Right? I, I, I do, yeah. But, but like, I, I actually want to ensure that the energetic exchange is one in which like this person is ready to step up into themselves and ready like have has had enough of 
what it is they've experienced and are ready to, to transition. And then once I recognize they have that respect for themselves and that agency and that desire, will I actually take them on as a client? But, but fundamentally, um, there has to be a precipice um, and if someone is ready because some, so many people talk the talk but aren't actually ready, they're still too afraid and still too entrapped. Um, and there's nothing that can be done until they, they themselves have an experience that yields them the insight in which they wish to have something different. Um, and so this is kind of just like a general wide sweeping view and understanding of kind of like why my approach is unique. Um, but ultimately at the end of the day, all I do is listen to the person and I, and I listen to all of them. Um, the deeper parts of, of self that wish to be emerged and heard, but aren't by the individual because the ego might be too, too loud and might stifle their ability to hear themselves and come into, um, come into, uh, I don't want to say contact, but cultivate a relationship with the deeper aspects of their true nature. I act as a channel and I act as a, as a reflection point for them to hear themselves so that they can begin to find that voice within themselves on their own and cultivate a trust in these deeper parts of self. Can you talk about like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you, when you left, you know, New York City and, and the hedge fund, <clears throat> I mean, how did, you know, when you first went out to do training to become a teacher of meditation, um, you know, a lot of times um, it's um, a lot of people um, become deified, they get reputations um, as great teachers, and then they have all this power, and instead of giving back the power to the clients, which sounds like you do, um, they abuse the power and they manipulate people. And you hear stories about, you know, quote unquote gurus who fall from grace for taking advantage of their students and taking advantage of that power that they have. And I wanted you to talk about your experiences traversing the authenticity of the yogic landscape because um, there's a Unfortunately, a lot of deception, and I've talked to enough cats to know that um, some fell victim to it, some didn't, but ultimately it's real, it's a real problem, and the most important thing is you, Susan Barnes, does not, How I guess it's a two-part question, did you have to traverse the, neb the this this landscape because like there's a lot of people that have huge reputations, but, you know, if you want to get ahead, you have to play this game. Number two, how did you learn or, you know, how did you learn that the power you have is only effective as, as if you give it back, like you just talked about with your clients, not abusing it, but sharing it? Um, this is a great question. Can you, can you, by the way, are you in a wind tunnel or something? I'm outside. Okay, just just speak into. I want to hear every word you're saying. Yeah, sure. Uh, is this better? Yeah, it's as good as it's 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 better. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, <laughs> great. This is a really important question, and I'm glad that you asked it. A lot of what you're speaking to has to do with motivation and intention. 
on behalf of the teacher. But it is equally met by what what I'll call in this in this example um, a desire for someone to know something and to have answers. People become deified and become gurus because for the most part people are seeking answers and meaning outside of themselves for the most part. Um, and as long as, as someone is continuously seeking externally answers to questions that they themselves are the only ones capable of answering or getting some semblance of answers to, there will always exist this, uh, this concept of, 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 of wooing or deification of individuals that may not actually be the individuals that have the best interests of people at hand. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's bifurcated in this way, and I want to speak to just the individual really quickly before I, I speak more than this. Um, but this is the overall importance of, of really truly establishing a connection with ourself and understanding our mind states and understanding that for as long as it's been recorded and, you know, um, that there's always been this externalization, this desire to seek outside of ourselves some level of fulfillment. Um, and as long as we are externally seeking, we will be constantly misled. Um, the origination has to come from deep within our sense of self and deep within our own knowing of what is true. And that is a, that is a journey that is shaping the entirety of one's life. But the sooner that you're able to embark on it, the less likely you are to fall susceptible to someone whose motivations as a spiritual teacher or a teacher in general um, uh, may make you predisposed to falling into that trap. Um, people, and, and so now coming back and speaking to, to my perspective about myself and my journey, this is one in which, you know, I too was a seeker and I too would see someone in a very specific type of role as like, ah, someone I can learn from. And this habit of, I call it pedestaling someone, right. taking someone off the level playing field in which I'm sitting and putting them above me. Um, created a type of power dynamic that at times could not be healthy because I was I was looking to this person's unilateral perspective as a mechanism of making sense from my own experiences. And the only person that can truly make sense of my own experiences is myself. Um, but what's beautiful about being insightful in this way of seeing everyone as a teacher, not deifying them, but fundamentally allowing them to be a source of inspiration and perspective that we can't hold on our own because we're only in our own experience. Um, but the more we can sort of create a relationship in which we seek to teachers, we seek to guidance, like well-known people, but we don't necessarily hinder our, our, our perspective into one specific type of doctrine of thought or experience, um, the greater there is a capacity for us to find resonance with some thing that, that, that makes sense to us. And this comes back to inquiry. This comes back to, I'm a unique person. I've had these unique experiences. And, and I'm going to open myself up to the platter of teachings that exist out there. 
and find the ones in which like there's resonance. Maybe it's Buddhism, maybe it's Christianity, maybe it's Islam, maybe it's paganism, maybe it's atheism, maybe it's none of the above. But in getting to that place of taking ownership of of the search of meaning and seeking and finding answers, like taking ownership into one's hands and leveling the playing field um, allows there to be greater capacity to explore and invite in different perspectives without holding on to them as the absolute truth, because the only absolute truth that exists is the one that emerges from ourselves, um, because it's the nature of the uniqueness of our lived experience of reality. Can you talk about, you know, a lot of this is coming from, you know, it's, it's the kingdom within uh, that you're talking about, but mm -hmm. when you, can you talk about a time that you pedestaled someone and that you actually learned the best lesson by actually directly experiencing um, the, um, the DF, you know, this, where, you know, you, you know, it was a sense where you, I don't want to say you got duped, but it was where you where you were looking outside of yourself for the answers, and uh, and then you realized, and then because of that experience, you were able to become more. You became you set yourself on a more authentic internal course, realizing that everybody can be a teacher. Sure, I'm going to answer that just in a second because I remembered something that you had asked me before that I actually didn't touch upon. Um, which is you said something about um, what you're speaking to about teachers that kind of go on a specific trajectory to create like like a, to be a part of the game and get ahead in the game and you know all this stuff like yeah you know yeah exactly like mm -hmm. um, that you know that fundamentally comes down to like a very that comes back down to what it means to be successful for someone and what their underlying motivations are that sort of dictates and informs as well as a, a limit, limited capacity, a limited creative capacity um, of, of what it means to be a teacher. Um, because fundamentally, the best teachers are the ones that are liberating you without asking for you to come back for more, um, unless you want to come back. Absolutely. Like they are the ones that are gifting you the tools and the resources that you can integrate into your experience so that you continue to grow. And the best hope for a teacher is that the student surpasses them. Um, because when they are better off, like we are better off, generally speaking. And when you're talking about a capitalistic model of differentiating oneself in, in a field that is saturated with spiritual teachers, um, there are so many teachers that are not actually acting from a place of true spiritual development and understanding and knowing. They're much more operating from a very superficial level. Um, and so it, again, becomes, you know, I keep coming back since because it's important, but there has to be a level of accountability and agency within an individual to to not pedestal someone to really objectively approach the different types of teachers that they come into contact with to be able to like suss out what smells funny and what feels authentic um, because a lot of it smells funny um, so segueing that um, you know I can actually talk about a more recent experience which is really enlightening and eye-opening for me um, was um, last uh, last November and December, um, I returned to Bali for a little bit of time, and I suddenly found myself in the company of a lot of social media influencers. 
uh, yogic meditation, but mostly yogic. Um, and, you know, in my mind, you know, up until that point in time, I saw the number game, like the millions of followers or the hundreds of thousands of followers as an abject um, reference point of validity and quality of of the inherent individual that is being followed mm-hmm. on social media. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh man, if they have a million followers, like they must really know what they're talking about, what they're doing. And I would look like on their profiles, right, and see, you know, incredible quotes and all these different things and these fantastic photos. And then I actually met these people in person and they, I was so unimpressed. <laughs> I, was, I was just like, wow, I was actually expecting something much deeper, right. something much truer. But you have actually mastered um, facade. You have all mastered facade in various ways to attract people and amass something for yourself that gives you greater agency to accomplish the things that you wish in life. But like at a baseline level, like I, I can't even have a conversation with you. Um, and so be- that let me ask you a question. Is it because is it because they are? You can't have a conversation with them because you're so you, – you cannot believe how uh, – nor like, you know, how uninspiring the person is or because they're caught up in their own ego? Because there is no authenticity. Okay. It's all facade. Yeah, that's that's, – that's, that, right? that's – So they've yeah. cultivated this persona that sells very well, right. is attractive, gets followers, but that's not who they actually are. Who they actually are, I found, is much more vapid. Um, I, I found in several instances, like just, and it made me actually quite sick to my stomach because I'm like, shit, like these are not, these these people should not be leaders. Absolutely like, not. I mean, I couldn't live seeking. with myself. I mean, the, and you're telling mm-hmm. me that the, were they now beyond? Were you? Would you say you went? You traveled there specifically to check out who these cats no, were? No, 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 no. But that I mean, but I mean, so, but I mean, some people are. Clearly, uh, I mean, it's more than just being unimpressed. I mean, they 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 get used. A lot of people get used. Um, do you mean the influencers themselves, or do you mean? Well, I mean, besides, I mean, if you're if you're if you're if you have all these followers, you know, and and they're you're you know you're putting up these this this mass this. Uh, the facade, then um, you have to believe that there's also uh, other duplicitous things going on unless they're just, all they are is just sort of a, you know, they're just twisting in the wind. I mean, I guess the, the idea is you were unimpressed, but were there people that were not able to detect that authenticity? And is that also something that was deflating for you? Or did you recognize that you wanted to, continue to create a model that was different than that? Um, it was one of those things where it was like more of like a, huh, experience and not much beyond that, to be honest with you. It was, it was enlightening in that capacity to be like, wow, so I could extrapolate, right? I could extrapolate the, you know, five or so influencers that I was spending time with and see the dis- like the discord between who they are as a person versus the the uh, social media front-facing facade and I could extrapolate that kind of like interesting if this is what I'm experiencing with these people like it makes me super like I'm seeing this as on a greater scale of like 
the power that social media influencers have, um, generally speaking, when they themselves aren't necessarily people that should be given a microphone to lead in this capacity, especially as it relates to spiritual development. Um, and so it was kind of just like a, huh, interesting. Um, and then it was kind of like a moving right along and like a doubling down essentially on like, you know, it doesn't matter the type of coverage that I get. Um, it matters more of the quality of, of teaching that I'm capable of, of transmitting to an individual that is ready to step up in that way. And it, it doesn't matter how many followers I have. Um, and, and I would prefer a life in which like I don't have a million followers um, but the quality of what yes. it is that I'm putting forth yes. is in alignment with who I am as a person because that to me has much greater far-reaching capacity in rippling um, the fundamental truth of, of the nature of, of existence generally speaking did you, was there a period of time in your yogic practice when because you're, you know naturally when you're starting out and Sometimes you want people to pay attention to you. Look at me. Look like like you mm -hmm. want you know, and, and then you recognize like you're like on this lotus flower, you know, and like people are just going to gravitate you to you naturally. Some people can't trust in that natural essence. They need the facade. W were you ever building your own masks, or I mean, can you talk about a time when you reached a point when you when you were able to be able to be completely comfortable as a natural uh, healer where people all of a sudden you're like, I don't have to exaggerate myself. I, I can just be myself. And that is going to bring, I mean, you know, some of it has to be a little so bit. In, go ahead. There, there was never any desire to exaggerate myself ever. If anything, ever. like yeah. it's been like uh, my own internal struggle of, you know, this is, this is a part of my livelihood and, being front facing in a public manner is is fundamental to to attracting enough attention in order to be able to cultivate this livelihood that i that i have um and my problem had always been that i am a very private person and a high level of discomfort in sharing of my life in in the public domain and so you know i very very like very reluctant to leverage social media in, in in a way of sort of branding myself despite the fact that it's you know just over the years like over you know like a, over the years it's, it's quite evident of my own capacity of being able to help people in, in very significant ways through teaching um and so it's it's only a very new sort of like a, uh a new kind of iteration of my own self that I've stepped into, which is getting comfortable with starting to just open up a little bit. Um, but there was never a part of me that ever wanted to introduce anything that was outside of what's authentic to who I am as a person, because it's beyond me. I recognize that everything that I'm doing is like my creative expression, what, what inspires me, what comes through me, what affects people is not me. It's something much greater than myself. And I am not one to claim that. I'm only the, the vessel in which that can come through and affect change. And I trust enough in my own experience that the right people will find me. Um, but in my own journey, it's been one of which, like, I've started to do these things. I've started to, to uh, 
be interviewed, I've started to allow the perspective that I hold and the way that I approach life and living and this world and, and self as a mechanism of extending that teaching, um, you know, at infinitum, like beyond this, 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 this body. Um, so that when I, it is time for me to go, the teachings will still be there for anyone who is, is ready and in and, and which they can find them. Um, in addition to the work that I'm doing generally with people like one-on-one. Uh, like -on -one. um, and so because of this understanding, um, there isn't a desire to push, to push anything. Um, there isn't a desire to construct something. Um, if anything, I've stepped out a little bit more in an artistic way to teach continuously without asking for any sort of reciprocity because that is just the nature of, of it. That of is course. Yeah, of no, it's all, in, yeah, it's beautiful. It's just, yeah. it's about intention. It's not about expectation. Yeah. There's no, exactly. you know, like I, I don't expect anything in return from any of my guests. I just want to um, inspire myself and, and other people um, to be themselves and, and, and you are yourself and it's really such a heartening thing. You know, um, this is another issue that I'm also interested in getting your opinion on is, um, you know, in our society we have um, this view of, of what a healthy sexual relationship is and you have these fronts where it's like, you know, you grow up in a monotheistic dogmatic house could be Judaism or Christianity or Islam. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's very much, um, taboo to have any discussions about sex, sex, or it's done in private. Um, the kids are not, mm -hmm. you know, it's very kept out of the, it's, it's, and then it can be a sin if, if you, um, engage in, in intercourse prior to a certain age. So, you know, people grow up with, very fixed views, fears, and rules about sex. And then on the other side, you know, obviously you can cut your TV and, you know, you can not have a phone and you can try to do some and cut yourself off from that. But it's very hard to completely escape from the, the way the media portrays uh, sexuality and the sexualization mm -hmm. of our culture. And just with my girls, I mean, we, it's hard to watch a show uh, that's even – you know, without it always inferring, um, you know, this sort of, um, it, it's, it's not, that's not an accurate depiction of a healthy sexual relationship either. So you have these two extremes, mm -hmm. you have the repressed, and then you have this sort of, um, you know, hyper, um, uh, just unrealistic version of sex. And, and I just wanted you to talk about your own concept of what a healthy sexual relationship is. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that you bring this up because it's super important. Um, you know, I I think that there's something really important around reframing um, the the way in which sex and sexuality is approached, like like all over the place. Um, like, <laughs> You know the the, the yeah, oppression and the and the taboo components that that emerge from religion come from like their own innate hypersexualization of the human form, right? Um, it's it's interesting that they that both of these extremes lie within the same text. Absolutely. Of, right. So there's paradox just 
oozing out of it. Um, and, you know, it's, it is the natural, it is the most natural thing. Um, like, the, 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 we are born naked. <laughs> yeah, we we're naked born, to the world, absolutely. Yeah, you're born naked. Right, like, we're, like we're, we're, we look to nature and we see reproduction happening um, as a means of propagating species. Um, and we look to, you know, the human sexual experience of one of, yes, like procreation, um, you know, the main word there being creation, creative energy. Um, but we also look to humanity as a means of, of recognizing that, like, we are, we are engineered in such a way as to experience pleasure through the act of creation. That's right. Co-creation. And it is completely lost on me why, if endowed with such such gifts of another felt experience of what it means to be human and to be alive, that that gift would suddenly be seen as more than what it is. And and in, in positioned in such a way as to be be seen as something other than a natural act. Um, is automatically creating all sorts of shame and guilt and suffering um, around something that is just is. Um, so, just you know, having I have a young niece; um, she's ten years old, and um, and I think that there's a huge need from from a cultural perspective across the globe um, to begin to talk about sex and sexuality as we do about technology and computer parts to not have like an overemphasis or hyperemphasis on something um, because of our opinions about it on a personal basis. Um, my own personal viewpoint around sex and sexuality is that there should be discussions early on to just kind of incorporate um, and kind of just de-emphasize <laughs> like this thing that is just one thing of many other things. That's absolutely, yeah. Well, well, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. um, and to have, like, the conversations and, and create an environment in which, like, that is a discussion that is just as easy as to talk about as, like, what's on, what's, what are we having for dinner tonight kind of thing. Um, because the more secrecy, the more suppression, and the more um, obscuration that exists, especially as, like, a developing child into an adult, um, the, the higher the instances of entering into something that is actually toxic and unhealthy. Um, how is so your, how is your niece? Can you just talk about like, do you, do you feel like your niece is exposed to these? Um, I mean, does she have, not that she should have an understanding of, of or the, or a balance or underst understanding of what, um, what it all means, but you brought it up as if she's been, she she is exactly what you're describing is somebody who's sort of torn between these non realities of what of what a healthy sexual relationship is. No, I can't speak for her experience around that. I'm I'm kind of looking at her as like a demographic coming up in a time like coming up in our time of like this overexposure through the internet, things of this nature. Um, and like what it means to be able to navigate that, um, essentially. And so it comes down to open, transparent, like dialogue, conversation, things of this nature. Um, the more that I think a child can 
can have the understanding of sex and sexuality from home in a healthy way, like the better it is. And I think like, you know, this was Freud's whole thing, right? Freud's whole thing about like psychological development and neuroses was tied to the way in which we relate to our sexuality. Um, and if we kind of just are able to shift into a space of seeing like, this is just a part of my intrinsic expression. Um, and again, we de-emphasize and, 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 you know, hyposexualize, like don't, you know, take it to a degree that more than it actually is. Then there can be like more of this, a more balanced approach to it. Um, generally. I think you're spot on. I mean, I, I can say in my own evolution, I, you know, you talk about this, this sort of, um, you know, we're born in nature. There's reproduction happening everywhere. Um, animals don't have necessarily the same built-in uh, shame uh, or things like that uh, as it relates to um, uh, sex. But, you know, for me, in my evolution, I used to, I, I did not want to give myself permission to feel pleasure. So my ability, um, I mean, in some ways it was conducive to um, healthy intercourse, but I could not orgasm because I refused mm -hmm. to give myself permission to, to feel pleasure. Mm -hmm. And um, only when I uh, reached a certain point of comfortability, acceptance, and also the right partner to who wanted me to have, feel pleasure did, was I able to orgasm? And mm -hmm. so, you know, that, that to me is the, I mean, I can feel, I, I just wanted to know that, do you feel like you have been able to give yourself permission to receive, to feel pleasure more since you have become somebody that's involved you've become more in touch with your body and you've been able to, uh, uh, you've been as a meditator, somebody who's been working, um, diligently to get inside and feel your body more. Ha has that helped in, um, in your ability to exact pleasure with a, with somebody that you love? So, you know, thankfully, um, I, you know, the way that I was raised, like my mother, like, had such a healthy perspective around sex and sexuality that I knew that it was nothing to be ashamed of. And I knew that it was something to enjoy. So I never had the experience of like, how did she express that to you? How did she express? How did she express that to you? Um, just purely in conversation that like, sex is great. And then like, <laughs> like when I was when I was young, you yeah, know, that's like, beautiful. Was, like, yeah, like, teenager. Um, like the moment that I, like, you know, the moment that I, I, I started my menstruation, you know, she, she told me like, when you're ready to have sex, let me know and I'll get your birth control. She was very just upfront with me about everything. There was mm. no taboo. Um, but you know, she, in her mind, she was like, you know, wait to have sex though. You know, you have a whole life to have sex. Just like, it's, this is a really special time where like, you don't have to worry about that stuff. And, you know, like just really take your time. And because of that, like I lost my virginity like later in life. But, like, after that, losing my virginity, I had a great time, you know, because I had a woman, like, my mother, I had my mother just telling me, like, this is something to enjoy, you know? Um, and so over the course of just, like, my own, like, sexual evolution has been one of just, like, yes, like, transitioning from a state of, like, 
the more primal understanding of what like sex and sexuality is to the more energetic tantric states of, of um, sexual energy and sexual energy exchange um, using you know harnessing the sexual energy as a component of, of riding waves of exponential bliss you know um, harnessing sexual energy for the sake of creativity because of the same this is the act of creation um, and just so just in my own development and evolution is just you know I, I wouldn't necessarily tie it to meditation but I could also 100% tie it to meditation because um, I've, I've changed as a person the more I meditate again it's like a compounding and accumulative experience like the the more I'm deepening and growing in in ways that are opening up more and more capacity for me to live breathe feel experience um, etc um, and so that's kind of just like you know and, and and even here it's like I'm a neophyte like even here it's still like from the state of like this tantric exploration like I'm still quite young and I have decades in front of me in terms of what that will turn into through sexual evolution evolution um, but in you know there's never been a part of me that has been averse to pleasure um, there's definitely been a part of me that did not realize that I could explore pleasure deeper um, through not just sexuality but sensuality um, you know differentiating the two and, and, and seeing intimacy as like an extension of sensuality like these other branches of what it means to be uh, whole and full and, and fully expressed as, as a person um, and that that pleasure is something that everyone deserves and, and to experience and that there is like no end to the different permutations of pleasure that we can cultivate like with self like in a very nice bath like i love taking baths yeah. <laughs> um, versus like pleasure with another and the depths that you can go with that um in whatever container that wishes to, to emerge right like everyone exists on the spectrum some people will fall more into the monogamous field some people will fall more into the polyamorous field um, and the more extreme, like, like kink and BDSM and all those things. And then just like finding and experimenting to see just the things you like. It's like ice cream, like just try things, you know, and, and find the things that you really love and that you really enjoy. And learn the things that you really don't enjoy and then cultivate those boundaries and then just get deeper and deeper and deeper into the things that you love that you actually like enhance meaning. And not to even mention just sex and sexual and sexuality as a mechanism of health. If you have a sexual body, a sexual nature, like you're a holistic person, just as you have an emotional body and a physical body and a mental body, like sex and sexuality and having a healthy relationship to that is, is wholly important to being a much more holistic, balanced individual, not only because of the myriad of like health benefits that are attributed to giving and receiving pleasure, um, but the way in which that just affects your physiology and your general well-being. What is your definition of Tantra? Uh, my personal definition of Tantra is kind of the exploration of um, energy and energy dynamics. That is really... Not just within a yeah. sexual context. Okay, so it's not just overall, in a sexual like, context. Yeah, that, that's... Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You equate it to... all-encompassing. All um... Like, you know, when you, um, do you feel like there's, are, are which category at this point are you, do you feel like the, that your privacy or that you are a very private person that 
you've explored in different terrains um, and, have, and have experimented and received or given pleasure in different uh, ways and that has allowed you to trust be, just be a little bit less guarded about who you are as a person you know I, I am a stark believer that openness in life just gives you so much more context in which to yeah. discern from um, and so openness of mind openness of spirit openness of body openness of sexuality like the the more open and inviting you are the greater range of of experience you have to to direct experience right like nothing there's nothing better than direct experience absolutely nothing no it's really the best it was the greatest thing ever of all time by far yeah right and most of the time people that are more closed-minded are acting from a reference point of giving opinion to everything and anything that they've never experienced before and having a very strong opinion, which works to enhance their desire to stay closed. <laughs> um, right. But direct experience is a thing that just, just cuts through opinion, cuts through the noise, and gets you a discerning, like, true experience of what is real for you. And so, you know, openness is, is I think, just critical in all aspects of life. Um, because then that openness also affords you the insight of like what you don't want. Like it affords you an understanding of like your own boundaries. And again, like once you get to that place of boundary and understanding your nose, you can just dive into the yeses. You know? Uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's spot on. You know, um, Susan, I'm just backed up against the tech. I got another interview right now, but can yeah. we, can we do another part next week? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Okay, thank you. I, I thank you for being such an honest teacher, and um, thank you for wearing your heart on your sleeve. And, um, and um, yeah, I mean, just you know, you're you are uh, you're, you're you're really great, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time. And I and I recognize that that this is a challenge that you are um, enjoying. Uh, thank you Jake um, it's been it's been um, wonderful to to be in dialogue with you and to hear you and to explore these topics and um, you know and, and and I actually just wish to just applaud like your courage and bravery of also like doing these deep dives and doing this search um, because I'm, I'm actually only as good as the questions that I receive and so thank you for asking quality no, I like that no it's it's yeah no I I it is my true nature. There's nothing worse than lack of authenticity, and I can hear that you feel the same way. So we'll continue on, my friend. Have a beautiful day. Right. You too. Take care. Later. Bye. Bye. Part three in the books with Susan Barnes. We'll be back with Zephaniah O'Hara after this. Mm -hmm.